Hi, everybody. You are listening to Movie Cinema Film with Leah and Jordan, and this is our review of Beautiful Boy. Okay. So, you know what we should have? We should have, like, music or something after I say that. And then we can start the podcast. Cool. We'll work on... We should call Bert. Hey, hey Bert. Bert. If you're listening to this podcast (laughs) on your long commute every morning... um, we want you to make a nice jingle for our podcast, mm-hmm. for like this portion right here. It would be cool to have like an old Hollywood sounding jingle, like something like something like we were listening today. We were we had Billie Holiday and like Moonlight Serenade and those kind of things. We had like a really old school like '40s tune that would be so cool, right? Yeah, Bert's basically from the '40s, also. Yeah, he is. He's our uh, musical director, kind of, right? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's the musical literally... director of Rhino Comedy. <laughs> yeah, he's great. And he's probably going to go on to make a musical that wins a Tony or some shit like that. Right. Perhaps. Well, thank you to the tens of people that listened to our first podcast. We really appreciate you. We're so excited that you're listening, so thank you. And we're going to be on iTunes really soon. Maybe this one will be on iTunes. It will. Right? Yeah, if you guys uh, are listening to this podcast, please send an email to Tim Cook and just say (laughs) your employees should not have a vacation for Thanksgiving. (laughs) Your employees should have to work during all holidays to make sure that movie cinema film gets on iTunes. So our movie today is Beautiful Boy. You saw it a long time ago, huh? Yeah, I saw it about two weeks ago. I just saw it a few days ago. So, before we get into it, though... It's directed by Felix von Gruningen. Right. He's Belgian. And he's directed a few films. I haven't seen them. Have you seen his other films? Um, I'm not sure. Let me go deep into the interweb. Deep into the interweb. Um, I have not seen any of his films. Or at least any of his popular films. Yeah, no, I've never seen his films. Sean Baker said that they were good, and I trust his opinion very, very strongly, so. Uh, If you're playing along to the movies, cinema, film, drinking game, take a shot for the Sean Baker. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big admirer of his work. He's extremely talented. For those of you who don't know, he directed The Florida Project and Tangerine and Prince of Broadway and Take Out. So many good movies. So before we get into the Beautiful Boy discussion, which... It's going to be the same way it was last week. We'll do first a general non-spoiler review, followed by a spoiler-filled review, and we'll warn you, so don't worry. We're going to get into movies that are related to this film in some way that we've chosen. So we're going to talk about one movie each that is drug-related in some way, and then one movie each that's (laughs) (laughs) boy-related. Because that's what we need more of in America, boys and drugs. I don't understand why there aren't more stories about boys and drugs. I mean, they're so important. Not enough stories are being told that let people off the hook for the terrible decisions that they make. Yeah, we need more white boy stories. There's like not, I like, I'm just like, what's going on with white boys? Like, I don't know. Jonah Hill, help me, please. Yeah, Jonah Hill. <laughs> Jonah Hill knows that. <laughs> no, no Jonah Hill hate on this podcast. No, no, no. We love you, Jonah. Actually, Jonah, if you're listening, we met back in the day when I was working on Get Him to the Greek, and you were so lovely, actually, to all of us. I was an extra. 
and I thought you were so cool and nice. Anyway. Jonah Hill. Um, Come on the we show. We also met um, when you were working on 22 Jump Street, <laughs> right, and you were Jordan on Tulane's campus, <laughs> and uh, you were in between scenes, per se, and I was walking by, and I saw you there alone. You were waiting for Channing to come back into the scene, and I just yelled, Jonah! And then you looked over as if it was somebody who, like, you actually had to respond to. You thought it was an important thing. And then you look over at me, and I'm just grinning and laughing <laughs> that I got Jonah Hill to look at me. Um, that sorry was, about that. No, thank you. That was a riveting story about your life. I'm so excited that I got to hear it. Thank you. I wasn't, I wasn't an actor back then, Jonah. I, I didn't understand that people were just going to be trying to disturb my art constantly. Yeah. right. I just loved you for you. So, do you want to go first? Let's do drug movies first. Why, why, why me the drug movies first? <laughs> All right, fine. Um, no, I'm going to go with uh, a classic drug film uh, directed by one of the great directors of our time. A little bit of train spotting. Okay. Um... Fun fact, I've never seen Train Spotting. Wow. I know. It's one of those holes in my filmography. <laughs> I so, I, I think you need to watch it. I probably, no, I will. Especially, I really want to see it, especially because the sequel came out. So, I feel like I need to have that experience. Did you see the sequel? No. I, I would never watch a sequel without seeing the first one. I'm very, like, structured that way. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a Danny Boyle film. Um, who is probably one of my favorite working directors right now, as I alluded to in his introduction. And it is based off of the Book of Short Stories by Irvine Welsh. Um, the, or no, it's not based off of the Book of Short Stories by Irvine Welsh. It's based off of Trainspotting the book. I read Irvine Welsh's book of short stories Mm -hmm. that was my gift from my therapist in new orleans she had a bookshelf and i was asking her about the book of short stories and i was like oh like have you read this is it good and she was like oh i'm trying to get rid of all these books do you want it i was like cool wow but this is a really classic drug tale it has the danny boyle cinematography and just cinematic mark um it is a very trippy, trippy film. Mm-hmm. It's a very darkly funny film. Like, I guess I could spoil some of it unless Leah wants to watch it and doesn't want me to spoil anything that no, happens. No, I do want to watch it. Okay, so we won't get to it. <laughs> but there's some, like, this, like, we were talking about for the Boy Erased episode, how one of the scenes was one of the hardest scenes to watch on film. There are at least one or two scenes in this film that are some of the hardest scenes to watch in film, probably. I hear Ewan McGregor is so good in this. Yes. This is the beginning. This is where he became Ewan McGregor, I think. Um, It's really... I watched it on a very small screen the first time. I watched it on an iPod Touch, I think, Mm -hmm. on the Netflix app. (laughs) And, yeah, it's always been a classic to me. It's always been one of my faves. You can't just watch it all the time. Yeah. But if you're in the right mood, it is definitely a great film. 
And I think the message is don't do drugs. Yeah, the message is definitely don't do drugs. Don't do drugs, guys. Um, which is always good with a drug film, because I don't think drug films should glorify drugs and make you think that drugs are going to give you good results. No. <laughs> Even though they do sometimes. But that's just coincidence. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't hear that from us. So, have you said everything? that you want to say about this yeah i i don't have a lot to say about train spotting the film kind of speaks for itself yeah also if i can't spoil things i can't talk about some (laughs) of the really crazy things that happen which if you've seen the film you know i feel like i don't know exactly what happens but it's one of those movies where you hear about that it's crazy like i knew that even though i haven't seen it so i feel you on that one yeah it definitely takes you to a specific place Okay. Which is really nice, because I like films that really take you to a world. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So the movie that I chose is the 1998 HBO original movie, Gia, starring Angelina Ooh. Jolie as Gia Karanji, the supermodel who unfortunately passed away of AIDS. Have you seen the film, Jordan? No, I have not. So this movie, I saw at a really young age, and it really affected me. I, now looking back at it, I realize how important it is to tell stories uh, about people other than gay men having AIDS, because I feel like that's the stereotype, even to this day, a lot of people feel like it's mainly a gay issue, and it's not. Of course, anyone can contract AIDS, and seeing this film is so jarring because it's this absolutely stunning woman who had everything going for her in the world who unfortunately lost her life to this disease. And I really love the documentary style of the film. The actors play people in Gia's life and they're being interviewed in between scenes from the film as if it was a documentary. So that gives it a certain feel that I really like. And the movie's really gritty. I like the way it goes in between these scenes of, you know, Angelina Jolie just looking so stunning and at all these photo shoots and living the life and succeeding and really becoming the superstar model that Gia became, interspersed with these scenes of desperation and drug addiction. And you actually do see the moment where she shares needles with people and because you know what's going to happen to her you just I mean it's like watching a horror movie you're like no stop 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 don't do that you know and this also features a lesbian relationship which I also think was a unique thing at the time I mean the 90s weren't like so homophobic but it wasn't as common obviously and I love that love story I like the way that they portray romance like even if it wasn't two women just in general the way that they portray romance I really like in this movie it just makes it all the more devastating which again we're not going to get into spoilers but there's a scene where I mean it's not a spoiler that she dies right like everyone knows that she passed away unfortunately (laughs) but the last time she sees her girlfriend which I don't remember her name right now but the last time she sees her, like what she says to her, I sometimes I think about that scene and I just start crying. It's so perfect. And Angelina Jolie, I feel like because she's such a tabloid star and she's known for like the Brad Pitt thing and having so many kids. And before then, she was kind of known for being this wild child and, you know, having vials of blood around her neck with Billy Bob Thornton. I feel like people don't really... <laughs> 
Uh, I feel like people don't really respect don't, her as much as an actress. What were you going to say? I don't really know a lot about this blood vial thing. Oh, so she was married to Billy Bob Thornton a couple years before she met Brad Pitt. And he was so this like... this is like peak Billy Bob Thornton, like Sling Blade. Yo, Yeah. She, he was, like, 20 years older than her, and she was already known as kind of, like, a Hollywood wild child because she, you know, at the Golden Globes, she jumped in the pool wearing her full gown, and, like, she kissed her brother on the mouth, and she was photographed, like, they were photographed kissing, and they looked like a couple, so that was a really controversial thing that she did as well. She said some outlandish things. She was obsessed with knives, like, she had a knife collection, whereas, like, you know, she, at the time, the other huge actresses were somebody, for instance, like, Reese Witherspoon, who very much America's sweetheart doesn't collect knives you know what I mean so (laughs) that we know of that we know of right let's not judge her Reese if you're listening please come on the podcast to talk about your knife collection you've been slighted by the press we know you're a bad girl too secretly but Angelina was very open about her eccentricities and one of them was that her and Billy Bob Thornton had pricked each other's fingers bled into vials and she wore his blood around her neck and he wore her blood around his neck so no matter where they were in the world making movies or whatever they were doing they had each other with them whoa yeah (laughs) it's some trippy love (laughs) yeah so some people thought that was crazy and you know they'd be on the red carpet and they'd be like just flagrantly making out or groping each other and they were like kind of obviously maybe drunk or high who knows but they were very it was one of those relationships where it was clear they were very crazy in love it burned out really quickly and anyway so like I said like obviously there's a lot that people know about her personal life right she's one of those celebrities that people talk about that often and I feel like even though she did win an academy award for Girl Interrupted she deserved one for this even though she wasn't eligible because it was a tv movie but truly this performance is just heartbreaking devastating I mean when you think about the subject matter, it would be hard for it to not be devastating, but Angelina just brings this authenticity to it that just makes you fall in love with her, root for her. She has that gritty thing where she, you know, she has she had that reputation for a while of being like the bad girl in Hollywood while also having this really like soft, beautiful appearance. And she just, I mean, she just nails the role like you just there's one scene where she's so desperate for drug money that her friend, this guy who's like actually a good guy in her life and isn't, you know, after anything, like she just, she offers him, you know, she's like, I'll have sex with you basically if you give me money. Cause she's so broke, even though she's had this great career, she's lost it all, spending it all on drugs. And she portrays the desperation so beautifully. She's just so good. And so. I highly, highly, highly recommend that movie, Gia. Word. Yeah. <laughs> I have to watch it. Yeah, I I'm going to watch Train Spotting. You watch Gia, and then we'll talk. Guys, I have a rare two hours tonight that I might not fall asleep. Ah! That, I'll, that I'll watch a film. I actually, I watched Slice the other day, which was, it was good to get a film in. Complete start to finish watching. It was only 80 minutes, though. Hey, that counts. It does. So what is your choice for a boy-related movie? I'm going to go with a controversial pick. Okay. I'm going to go with Boyhood. (laughs) That was the first thing I thought of. I knew you were going to do that. 
All right. I am realizing that Boyhood is a very polarizing film. There are a lot of people who like it, and there are a lot of people who don't like it. What side of the fence are you on, Leah? I absolutely love it, and I love Richard Linklater. Sweet. So this will be a fun conversation, (laughs) because we could talk about how much we love this film. Yep. Amazing. For one, this was basically my life, like... With the like time periods, so each age that he was at was what age I was basically at. Cool. So like all the music choices for the specific years were very much songs that had some kind of nostalgia in my head, especially considering Richard Lankladder was probably listening to the same music I was for 12 years, Mm -hmm. considering my music tastes were probably influenced by some of his films (laughs) and like the culture that surrounds his films. Um, I think that in the f- the year that it came out, it was very overshadowed by Birdman. Mm-hmm. When, like, this was more of just, like, a classic story and a classic film. Well, I think it was split. Like, people didn't know what... Like, Birdman was the favorite to win Best Picture, but it was either going to be Birdman or Boyhood, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And... I enjoyed it a lot. I thought Ethan Hawke's performance was great. I thought Patricia Arquette's performance was great. And I thought that they had a really good chemistry. And you never really get to see that in film, like the literal aging of someone. Mm-hmm. Like it's always makeup yeah. and faked in some way. I so mean, what an incredibly ambitious idea to even do. Just the idea of it. Like, I mean, I'm sure... Before this actually happened, many other people had said, wouldn't it be so cool if, like, they actually just filmed a kid growing up rather than having one actor play them at two and one actor play them at ten and one actor play them at twenty? But he actually executed it and did it very, very well, in my opinion. Yeah, and I thought the lead guy, Eller Coltrane, was fine. Like, he was, like, there were some points where he was not very good at all. Like, it was weird because he was good, like, when he was younger at times, and then there were teenage years where he was weirdly bad. Well, I told you I'm fascinated by child actors. Yes. And I agree with you. But I, I don't know. I don't know if I ever thought he was bad. But the thing is, is that you, you know, he took a gamble. You don't know that this kid is going to be a good actor. You don't even know if when he's of age, is he going to even want to be an actor? You know, like I always use the example of Mad Men, like on Mad Men, Don and Betty's kids, they got so lucky with Sally because they cast her when she was very young and then she ended up being a great actress. So in the later episodes where things are really getting even more complex and in-depth with the family and Don's issues and, and um, this, this, the episodes they show between Don and his daughter are just absolutely phenomenal. And if she had not been the quality actress, if she, they took a gamble. She might not have been that kind of actress and been able to handle those scenes opposite John Hamm, but she was wonderful. And they also, you know, they have two sons and they recast at least one of them. Maybe yeah. both of them. Both of they had to, right? Because at first he was a baby, and then, yeah. So like they had to recast the sons, and who knows? Maybe if they had, what's the older son's name on? Is it Bobby? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if they had recast, maybe if they they had originally cast a really talented 
talented kid, like someone who grew up to be really talented, he would have had a bigger storyline. Because I would have loved to see more between Don and his sons. That would have been amazing, right? So it's a gamble. I think you never know. But Patricia Arquette is so good. Like, I'm so happy she won the Oscar for this because I just think she's been underrated for years. I think she's so phenomenal in everything that I've ever seen her in. Yeah, her performance felt very grounded. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of realism to the film and the role that I feel like we don't get to see in film very often. I love most her. Of the time you have to play some grand character yeah. to get recognition. I love her in Bringing Out the Dead. I don't think I've ever seen that. The Scorsese picture with Nick Cage. He plays that ambulance driver. What? Why are you? I don't Jordan's think I've ever seen that. Jordan's looking at me so weird. <laughs> no, I think I thought I saw every Scorsese film, but I guess there are bunch I still haven't seen. You haven't, friend. You gotta see it. It's really good. It's very frenetic. It's like he's out all night driving this ambulance in New York City, and of course there's crazy things that happen all the time, and it it's definitely a mood movie. It, it puts you in a different place. Like Kind of like you were saying with train spotting. It's very different. Well, I, I guess it kind of has a taxi driver element to it, the driving around at night in New York thing. Kind of an after hours. Do you see that Scorsese film After Hours? That's one of my favorite Marty movies. I haven't seen any of his films, I guess. (laughs) I gotta get back on it. I hit my kick too early in life, I think. Well, it it definitely has those elements in it, but it is very much its own film. It doesn't, it's not necessarily, like, I don't think if you turned it on, you'd immediately be like, oh, this is Martin Scorsese. I think you, you might realize that after a while, but it's not one of those obvious Marty pictures. The way that you might think of with Goodfellas and Casino, you know? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like I'm more of uh, like a Raging Bull guy. I hear you, man. Raging Bull. <laughs> it's funny. The last time I watched Raging Bull, I remember thinking, "Oh, like this is what movies are supposed to look like." You know, I watch so many films, and a lot of them are bad. A lot of them are good, but most movies in general, I found, are just okay. Like, if you took the, <clears throat> excuse me, if you took the, like, a poll of all the movies, you'd find most movies are okay, <laughs> right? But then you watch Raging Bull and you're like, oh my god, like, it's like if you had McDonald's for a week and then you finally, like, had a good home-cooked, healthy meal that was very flavorful and delicious, and you were like, oh, like, I should always eat this. <laughs> anyway, so do you have a favorite sequence or, or uh, section of Boyhood? Um, I think definitely as he's getting later in his life Mm -hmm. I think like the teen years stuff was the highest quality stuff just because it was like the payoff um not like I think a lot of it had like maybe I'm misremembering it but most of it had to do with like, his parents' relationship, right? And how that affected him, kind of. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, my parents are together, so that was never something that was really part of my life. And I think I saw the beauty in the film, because obviously I know tons of people who are divorced and whose parents are divorced. But I think just the emotions I just liked and connected with, not necessarily that it connected with me specifically and my nostalgia of life, so do you think it should have won Best Picture over Birdman, or do you yeah. think... You do? Okay. I thought it was just such an undertaking, and I think Best Picture is supposed to be the most complete film, um, 
which I thought that this had such a cool storyline along with the undertaking that it was, which Birdman had the huge one-shot, which is probably what got it the victory, because I don't think otherwise it was that unique in any way. <laughs> but Fun fact, I worked on that movie, Birdman. Weird. Were you in the Times Square scene? No, I was in the theater, so I got paid to sit and watch those actors act and watch Inuri 2 direct, and it was absolutely life-changing. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like, And no one knew that it was going to be the film that it was going to be. I mean, obviously, we knew it was a great director. He had already, you know, directed Beautiful, and, I mean, he was notable, but it it wasn't no one really knew it was like oh there's this it's this weird movie where like michael keaton is back and he's in this like really you know great role for him and emma stone's in it and that was kind of like the buzz um that it was a really good cast like ed norton ed, ed norton naomi watts like but Zach galifianakis the greatest actor of a generation <laughs> uh it was just amazing like it was just another job for me is at that time I was working a lot as an extra and then when I saw what Inuri 2 was doing because literally like I mean you saw him moving with the camera and directing and directing and directing and he was very like he was very vocal and you I mean you got to see everything that he was doing it I on the first day right away I was like oh this is something different this is something special I can't believe I'm here this is crazy and when it came out and I could see myself, kind of, because I was sitting in the box, but I'm obviously blurry. But it was so cool, like, watching the movie and seeing all these scenes that I had seen in person, like, from a different perspective, and seeing how the film came out and how well it did. It was just, it's just really cool to say that you worked on a Best Picture winner, you know? And it was just such a great experience making it. It was so awesome. It sounds like it, especially <laughs> that film. Yeah. I feel like being on set must be must have been unlike anything else yes in it the was industry. <laughs> and also another fun fact ed norton wears crocs when you can't see his feet in scenes he likes to be comfortable that does not surprise me that <laughs> edward norton wears crocs and naomi watts was taking pictures like the whole time she's taking selfies of herself and her and ed and it was very cute like they were they were just very cute uh please don't Put a restraining order against me, Naomi. I just like you. Anyway, anything else you'd like to say? My boy film. Uh, Yeah, sorry. I'm done with boyhood. We got it out. (laughs) Well, it's funny because one of the first things I thought of for a drug film that I changed was Basketball Diaries. Oh, my God. Which is also kind of a boy film, right? I am so happy that you picked that film. (laughs) Well, I didn't. (laughs) It's kind of like an honorable mention. Oh. The boy movie that I would like to mention is the Swedish drama, My Life as a Dog, directed by Lassie Hallström. Have you seen it? No. It's kind of like a new, kind of like a modern classic. It's in the Criterion Collection. And it came out in 1985. I'm not sure what time period it's set in. I can't remember right now. I think it's the 50s. And so it's about this 12-year-old boy who has this very sick mother, and he doesn't actually know about that, but he has this close relationship with his older brother, and they get sent away to live with their aunt and uncle. And it's just kind of a coming of age about 
being a little boy. And as someone who hasn't been a little boy, I felt like it kind of illuminated that experience for me. And there are so many moments in the film. Uh, I'm a very moment-based person, so if a film overall isn't great, and but it has good moments and good scenes, I just will adore it. Not that that's the case with this movie. It's, this is, you know, pretty Wait, well regarded. My life as a dog. My life as a dog. Mm-hmm. The dog is a highlight, as <laughs> as most dog movies are. I mean, it's not really a dog movie, but there is a dog in it. And like I said, there's just these little moments that feel so authentic and really feel, much like the Florida Project, feels like a very close, very close portrayal of what it's really like to be a kid kind of in this messed up family situation you know the trauma of getting passed and on and having to like live in another house and not being able to be with your mom and the scenes with the little boy and his mom are so tender and sweet and heartbreaking and this little boy is so good who plays him I can't remember his name but he's so good and it's just really a film worth watching. Anton Belanzelius. Is that? <laughs> yes, that's him. <laughs> yeah. So I would check it out. I recommend it. And then my alternate for drug movie was going to be Candy, the Heath Ledger film. Had you seen that one? I have not. I need to see that also. <laughs> God, you are giving me such great films to watch. Yeah, Candy is. I mean, I'll, I'll keep this one a little bit shorter, but... It's him and Abby Cornish, and they play drug addicts who are in love. And it's, again, very authentic. You feel like you're there with them. And that's all I'll say about that one, because it wasn't my pick, and I don't want to go on forever. We should get into Beautiful Boy, but I highly recommend it. Heath Ledger is incredible, as he always, always was. And luckily... It's recorded, so it'll forever be immortalized on film how talented he really was. Yeah. I love you, Heath. We are blessed to have any Heath Ledger documented. Yep, for sure. All right, enough with our Heath Ledger love fest of the day. Yeah, (laughs) right, we're going to talk about him on every podcast. (laughs) Heath Ledger, if you're listening to this podcast. In heaven, we uh, love you. Come down, give us a divine. (laughs) Come down. A divine appearance. Yes. So, Beautiful Boy. First, we're going to get into the non-spoiler review. So if you haven't seen the film, feel free to keep listening until we warn you to stop. Yeah. So, what was your vibe going into this film? What did you know about it? I knew that Timothy Chalamet was in it, which is enough for me. So, if I will watch anything he is in after Call Me By Your Name. I completely fell in love with his talent. I was very struck by his performance in that movie, and I'm a fan for life for him, so even if he makes 10 shitty movies, I will still show up to see him every time. Like, that performance to me is a cornerstone in entertainment. Like, I really just responded to that. So I also really love Steve Carell. I know you're not in that camp as much. No, I love Steve Carell. Okay. We'll we'll get into it. Every American, for the most part. I really like his prior dramatic performances in Foxcatcher and 
I saw this movie that I love called The Way Way Back. Do you know that film? I do know about it. I've not seen it. I love that movie. For anyone who knows that movie, Allison Janney's character is like the reason I get up in the morning. But anyway, he's great in that. He plays such a terrible asshole in that movie and he nails it. So I enjoy the two lead actors and I really, I'm not a fan of trailers, but I really liked the tone of this trailer. I thought it was beautiful to just look at. I really like the cinematography, which was done by Ruben Impens, who also did the cinematography for Raw, which was one of my favorite movies from last year. That was a foreign film, right? Yes. That was that like fo- in the slaughterhouse. Horror. No, it, it wasn't oh, wait, in no. a slaughterhouse. It was about a young. What am I thinking of? It's about a young girl that's becoming uh, a zombie, kind of, or a vampire. She eats people. Wow, I've not seen it, but I have seen it on it's streaming sites. It's so good. It's so good. It's not even, I mean, it's a horror movie, but it's it's stylized very different than most horror movies. God, I have to watch like 12 movies in a row. Just yeah. walk off a day it's and okay. just say I'm not leaving for 24 hours until I've watched. That's heaven for me, honestly. I, I just, all I ever want to do is lay in my bed and watch movies, but. So. That was my feeling going into it was just, you know, and also I like movies that are drug related. I have had drug issues in my family for ever, so I feel like I relate to it and I feel like I understand drug addicts maybe on a level that some people don't or don't want to because they just want to kind of put them in a box and push them away and say, okay, that's not me, that's not my son, that's not my daughter, like I'll never be like that when really it can kind of afflict anyone in any family. And... Yeah, so what was your impression going into it before you saw it? Uh, Similar things. Big fan of Timothy Chalamet. Big fan of Steve Carell. I think Foxcatcher is going to go down in history as one of his greatest acting roles of all time. Um, I didn't really know too much else about the film besides that it looked good and there's good actors in it, so it must be a good script if they signed on for it. And, yeah, I went and saw it a couple weeks ago when we were starting up this podcast, and it was potentially going to be our first episode. Yeah, but I couldn't see it until a few days ago. I saw it at Village East Cinemas in one of my favorite neighborhoods in the world, Manhattan's East Village. Uh, I'm more of an Angelica guy. I love, no, I, I love the Angelica. I'm usually there. I actually hadn't been to Village East in a long time. I usually do the Angelica, the Landmark, or IFC Center. IFC Center is dope. I know. <laughs> ah. New York City is the best place for indie theaters. I mean, you really should support your indie theaters anywhere. I say this as a card-carrying AMC A-list member. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, I love, in this area, we have bow tie cinemas. And they have a lot of great deals. Like, the one in New City is $7 for a ticket. I mean, that's crazy in 2018, so. Yeah. And they have a pretty good selection of films as well. Mm-hmm. So let's get into just first impressions. What did you think of Beautiful Boy? Um, it was definitely, it felt like a slow start. I don't know if you felt that way as well. Um, so it definitely took a while to like get me invested in the characters. 
Um, especially considering I know these two actors so well, and have, these actors have now been in the forefront of my mind for a while, and I feel like they didn't really establish who these people necessarily were. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I'm not remembering that well. Um, I also... Okay, so like that... That's, like, the major critique of the film in general for me is just, like, it felt very generic at times. It didn't feel like, why was the story special? Um, Which, it was a true story, so I think there are combinations of things that they have to include for the story, and just fitting a whole person's life into a film is hard. Like, making somebody's life into two hours... And, like, this relationship between a father and son two hours was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my biggest issue with the film was definitely that I was like, what's kind of what's special about this? I guess there were aspects of how they dealt with um, having an addict in your family that were interesting. And, like, what Steve Carell's character did was cool, I guess. But it was mm-hmm. tough not to see Michael Scott at times. Yeah, I think that's the big critique of his performance. And I actually uh, whispered that to my boyfriend when we saw it. I was like, every time he yells, it's Michael Scott to me. Yes. And it's not that he's not good, because he's actually great. It's just that you remember those scenes from the office of him flying off the handle. And it just takes you right out of that dramatic moment. Yeah. And it's it's really kind of just a testament to how good he really was as Michael. You know, it's... It's like when you're so iconic as a certain character, it's hard to get that out of your head. Like, it's hard to feel bad for Michael Scott going through <laughs> this. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure Dave, David Chef, if I knew it was David Chef and felt like it was David Chef, I would have been like, wow, this is really tough. And he's, yeah. like, figuring out how to deal with it and trying to deal with his child. So and we like, should explain that. So the book is, it's, it's based on actually two books, the book by David Sheff, which I believe is called Beautiful Boy as yes, well, and then so. his son, who Timothy Chalamet plays, uh, Nick Sheff, wrote a book called Tweak, and so it's an adaptation of both of those books, and the screenplay uh, was written by the director and Luke Davies, and actually, this kills me, so I love Cameron Crowe so much, and Cameron Crowe wrote a screenplay based on these two books as well. Oh, wow. I would love to read that. He was supposed to direct his own screenplay. And, I mean, Cameron Crowe directing Timothy Chalamet would have just killed me. I'm the biggest Cameron Crowe fan. So I really, I I hope that script leaks or something. I don't know. But the film is about a young boy. He starts off being like 17, 18, and then a few years pass. So he gets into like early 20s who's struggling with addiction, and he does everything, basically. I mean, weed, coke, meth, ecstasy, alcohol, pills. And it's mainly the father, his perspective. I actually really wish there was more perspective from Nick's side of things, because I I just thought it was too much about the father. And I really wanted to know more from the kid yeah that's also an interesting thing about film is like the people who are 
established in the industry have a very specific perspective because most of them are probably older and like a lot of people who are in the industry are probably dealing with their children mm-hmm. having drug problems and dealing with it from that perspective mm-hmm. the opening is is Steve Carell's character just sitting and talking to a doctor yeah and it's just very frank. Like, they tell you exactly what the movie is about. If you didn't know already from the trailers, he's just like, my son is addicted to crystal meth, and I don't know what to do. I need help. And his approach, like, the father's approach of the whole movie, which we'll get into more when we talk spoilers, I thought was really interesting. They show a lot, like I said, they show a lot of what he's going through, and I just wanted more. I felt like the son was more like this almost like a otherworldly like being that floats in and out of the story and affects everything else and every person in the story but isn't the powerhouse character that he maybe should be especially considering Timothy Chalamet's performance was amazing yes as yes, yes 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 oh I god I didn't get into that but that was the high point of the film he is so freaking good he is going to be the next gigantic movie star who's always he's I believe he's really like the next DiCaprio like he's going to be that you know that guy that's in great movies in general like always makes good movies but then is also always critically acclaimed and then his movies also usually do well at the box office I mean DiCaprio's had a few bombs but that's pretty rare for him so I mean I really think he's in that vein and I think we're just going to see him in more and more movies that really showcase how much range he has. This performance was so different from Call Me By Your Name. I feel like we're going to soon lose cute Timothy Chalamet, and he's going to bulk up and start growing beards, and we're going to all of a sudden have, like, adult Chalamet. Well, he lost (laughs) weight to do this film. He, especially as... I don't know if they shot it in sequence, but I know that he lost weight during the course of the film so that when he's more strung out that he would be even skinnier. And he actually said in an interview that he had to go to the doctor several times. And, you know, the scene where Steve Carell goes to pick him up and he's, like, standing next to a dumpster in the rain. I mean, he looks so... I mean, he's always been skinny, but he looks just so real thin. And he mentioned that scene specifically and said, like you know, when you're acting, but you're literally 20 pounds lighter and you're in the freezing rain and you are standing next to a dumpster, like, it doesn't really feel like acting at that point. It's very easy to portray that kind of turmoil. Let's see what else you mentioned. Okay, so the music? Big thing that's kind of splitting people. Uh, I felt it was kind of all over the place, but I actually really enjoyed what they did for the most part. Yeah, I was fine with it. I know I had huge critiques about the music in Boy Erased. I didn't see anything wrong with the music in this. Well, it was definitely different. They, First of all, I didn't even know that they based the title off of the John Lennon song, Beautiful Boy, that he wrote for his son, Sean. Just a song I've always loved. It has that iconic line, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans, which I feel like is one of John Lennon's most popular lyrics that I always see quoted on people's user profiles and stuff. <laughs> and... There was a lot of classic rock. There was, like, this presence of Nirvana, and, you know, I saw Bowie posters in his room, and his father worked at... Well, he didn't work at Rolling Stone, but he was a freelance writer, so he was there a lot. Like, they often show the Rolling Stone offices. There's definitely a presence of 
music in the film and they had that scene with well the montage really with sunrise sunset yeah such a classic very much pulled on my heartstrings and i thought was very apt some people are saying it was like out of the blue it was out of nowhere because you have all this classic rock and then you have this more um i guess 50s pre <laughs> it's like pre-classic rock classic <laughs> yeah. in there but i i loved that moment and then they have, uh, this would be a spoiler, so I'm not going to get into exactly what it is, but when uh, the dad finds his journal, that yeah. horror movie music, it actually sounded so much like Annihilation to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a little cartoonish, truth be told. I thought that was a little too much. And I didn't really like the soft piano music during that love scene. Yeah. I was not really a fan of that. So... Timothy's hair in this movie, uh, that, so th- there's a lot of beautiful shots. The shot where him and his little brother are laying in the sand together, and they look so happy. I loved that scene. I loved that whole scene on the beach when he's in recovery. And they're like, they're like laying face to face in the sand, you know what I'm talking about? Their hair is just so beautiful and curly. I just wanted to reach over and touch their, both of their heads. But I really felt like one of the mistakes the movie made is that as Timothy gets deeper, well, I should say Nick gets deeper into drug addiction, he looks just as beautiful the entire time. And if you're injecting heroin, your looks are going to suffer. I think that's pretty, like, it's kind of like drug, drug abuse 101. <laughs> and he just looks great. I mean, there's there's no scene in which it, it, he looks even. I mean, maybe slightly, but there you do see track marks and things like that. But I wish they had done more with him, his face and his his look. I just felt like he looked too good. Yeah, I also agree. It took me out of it at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything was just very. Whereas films like Candy and even Gia. They they show a grittier side of things. They have a different color palette. They have a more raw, realistic tone. This movie stayed very, well, beautiful. I mean, Beautiful Boy <laughs> is a good title. He was beautiful the entire time, as were all the houses. That was one thing that we kept saying was like, oh, my God, this house that they live in is so gorgeous. This mid-century, uh, the property, the trees, like they often shot at a low angle so you could see the actor with the trees and the sun coming through and it was just so stunning and uh, and then even like his rehab facility is beautiful and like the the hotel he has to stay in looks great and then his mom's place in LA like for me I feel like this kid needed to stay in a crack house like he needed to stay (laughs) in a shithole if he I mean, of course, if your dad's paying, you know, $40,000 a month for your beautiful rehab facility and you can just do that off any time you relapse, like, okay, fine, of course you're, of course you're going to keep doing drugs because it's really, you're not really having any consequences. So it's like, he just went from, you know, gorgeous location to gorgeous location. And I thought they really need to like knock this kid out on his ass, which I guess we'll get into their choice, whether they did that or not into the spoilers, but is there anything else you want to talk about that isn't a spoiler? No, nah, I think I'm ready to get into spoilers. Oh, one thing is 
This movie took seven months to edit. I read that. Wow. So I don't know what you feel about the editing. I thought it was okay. But overall, what, the last thing I want to say before we get into spoilers is that this movie did not pack the emotional punch that I was wanting. It felt very yes. muted Yes, it emotionally, felt, right? Yeah, it felt like I was... It felt like I was watching it while on antidepressants, like, intensely sedated. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Like, this is how, like, yeah. I'm there. saying that as experience of being on antidepressants, and, like, the whole film I was, like, wanting to, like, emotionally, like, let myself go and, like, really feel something in the film, but there was no point in it where I was really, like, oh, I really am invested in what happens to these characters, or, like, oh, I feel bad for either of these characters. Yeah, this film premiered at TIFF, and I felt like the feeling was, oh, this is just going to devastate you. Like, this is heartbreaking, you know? And we all fell in love with Timothy. I actually read that he was cast before Call Me By Your Name came out, and they wanted to get an unknown really, really talented young actor because they didn't want people to be pulled out of it by seeing a movie star. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> and then obviously he becomes such a movie star from Call Me By Your Name. But I just didn't, I, I just didn't feel that heartbreaking. I mean, yes, of course it's heartbreaking. Like on a very basic level, it's heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking story when, when a young man with all this potential ends up, or anyone, you know, becomes a drug addict it's heartbreaking but I didn't feel it it, it, it didn't reach out and like grab my soul you know I, I have people in my life who have died of drug overdoses and like I have people in my life who have addiction issues that I've personally had to deal with or be around or listen to similar things that happened in this film and I don't know what it was it didn't feel that unique it didn't feel like it was that great it didn't feel like it taught me anything that i didn't know like maybe it's gonna be good for like middle-aged white dudes to watch this film and be like oh so this is how i should deal with my son who's stumbling into an abyss and can't get himself out right and i want to get more into that with the spoiler talk too with how he things that he did yes so should we do that spoilers 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 turn off the podcast now we're actually going to take a break also bye okay guys this is going to be the spoiler portion of beautiful boy if you did not get that from our screams and chants this is your last opportunity to turn it off it's too late too late we're we're getting into it so ruining the fact that he survives. He does. And he writes survives. a book. We already kind of spoiled that by he, saying that it's based off of his memoir. He has now been sober for eight years, which is a great thing. And this congrats, movie. Congrats, Nick Chef. Congrats. Yeah, seriously, man. This uh, movie did a similar thing to Boy Erase that I, I, I think it worked a little bit better in this movie. But I mentioned in our review of Boy Erase that I wanted to see more about the transition between his trauma and his new great life. Of course, in Boy Race, there were still a lot of issues there with his father and stuff. But, you know, he became this successful, you know, living in Brooklyn, writing about his experience, and seemed much happier, very, very comfortable with his sexuality at this point. And I wanted to kind of see the journey there. And same thing with this. 
they skip the success story, like, just to kind of focus on the turmoil of everything, which is, you know, that that's what they focus on. That's their, that's their choice. But I kind of wanted to see more, I guess. It is interesting that they both went through the lens of, like, wow, these guys got through their problems and then ended up being able to write. Mm-hmm. Which is a very tough profession to get into, so like more power to them that they that these stories that they were able to tell help them get into these fields and really get themselves back on track in their lives after very traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. So, I want to ask your opinion. Do you think that in the film the that they were suggesting that the long distance between the mother and the father and the fact that he had to always go back and forth, he was on the plane by himself, and that his parents were so estranged, you know, they don't even show the mother until far into the film. And I knew it was going to be, like, a really... I knew it was going to be, like, an epic actress. Like, she's played by Amy Ryan, and I knew that all of a sudden it was going to be, like, Sally Field walking in here or something, right? Like, (laughs) And, I don't know, do you think they were suggesting that that was the reason for... His drug addiction? Um, I think it was definitely put in there purposely. The fact that we don't realize how things affect children, you know, and how experiences that children have given what they know in the world and, like, what isolation does to children, what different types of things affect children like you got the feeling that Steve Carell's character didn't really pay attention to him that much when he was younger when he was working right was that kind of what they were trying to portray kind of that he had to put work to the side I don't know focus I thought it was poorly done like I it's a very pointed choice also to show the father dropping him off at the airport and not showing the mother picking him up at the airport. Like, they could have shown a scene where, you know, her arms are outstretched and he's running into mommy, you know, like, and that didn't happen. And so when she is revealed as the mother, that feels like a big moment, but then we also don't really get to learn more about their relationship, which I get that it was like, like I said, it was so focused on Steve Carell's character and his perspective rather than even Nick's. Uh, So... I don't know, I just would have liked to see more of the mom or some kind of explanation. Not that there even needs to be an explanation for why someone becomes a drug addict because it is so rampant in our world today. It's like, you know, it's not like everybody who is a drug addict has trauma. There are some people that have terrible traumas that never get into drug addiction and some people that don't have much trauma at all. I mean, we all have something, right? But, you know, maybe somebody doesn't have something so bad but they still are drug addicted like dr drew actually identifies it as a gene he says that you know some people have a gene that makes them more susceptible to drug and alcohol addiction and it's also passed down generation to generation they didn't get into that at all so i guess it's not they did have that one it's not in this movie but they did have that one scene where they share a joint and the father's kind of apprehensive about it, but ultimately goes through with it. What did you think about that? Uh, I thought it was an interesting scene, and I think it kind of shows how you don't think things could get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Because it is very tough to see when somebody is an addict and 
like if somebody is an addict, they're not going to make you think that they're an addict because they don't want you to think that they have a problem. Because if they if people think that they have a problem, then they're going to try to stop them in some kind of a way or not accept them in some kind of a way. And I think that's what that scene did really well, was showing like, oh, look how well he's hiding it. Look how well he's able to be like, no, it's not a problem. I could just smoke a joint and it's fine. Yeah. But that's kind of the thing about addiction is you can't just stop after one. You can't just stop at some point in the night. Like, Mm -hmm. it's the need to keep going until you fall asleep. And then once you wake up again, waiting until that moment that you start again. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you listen to Armchair Expert, Dax Shepard? I do, oddly enough. I love that podcast. I'm so, so on it. I like it when he has a good guest that I'm interested in, but he's a little much. Okay, well, I'm definitely an armchairy. I don't find him to be a little much. In fact, I could take much more of him. <laughs> I just, I, I think he's great, and one thing that he talks about very openly on the podcast is his sobriety and his yeah. journey with AA and his addiction, and he said that the first time that he got drunk, he felt like oh my God, this is what has been missing from my life. Like everything that he had ever longed for, he suddenly found with alcohol. And I thought, that's really interesting because I did not feel that way the first time I got drunk. Like I'm sure you know, like I drink very little every time we're all out and everybody's drinking. I'm usually, I mean, I don't think I've ever drank with you guys, but I... I've seen it happen or twice for very special occasions. Oh, Heather's birthday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Heather's birthday, I drank that um, concoction that she made, which was was more of a fruity drink. I don't have anything against drinking as long as you are you don't put anyone's life in danger and you're not a terrible asshole when you're drunk. But it's not my favorite thing in the world because I do have addiction in my family, and I just think, for me, it's not really like worth it to drink. I'm just kind of like, this is very expensive and it's a lot of calories and it makes me feel shitty afterward. It's really not that fun. <laughs> but I do enjoy like certain draft beers and and uh, like craft craft beers and things like that. And I like when wine is like paired with a good dinner or something. You know, it can be a good thing. Alcohol can add something nice to an evening rather than turn into a problem. But I just thought his assessment of that really made me think because – my uncle, who I'm very close with, has struggled with drug and alcohol addiction his whole life. And he is clean from drugs, but he still is an alcoholic. And he used to beg me when I was younger. like He was like, don't ever do drugs because once you know what it's like, like you'll never be able to get over it. Like You'll always be chasing it forever. And I feel like that kind of goes with what Dax said, where he, he said that it felt like something had always been missing that was found with alcohol and I'm like well I didn't feel that way and that seems unfair like why did that happen to him and it didn't happen to me or you like it it seems to also tie into that thing Dr. Drew said about a certain gene so I feel like certain people are predisposed oh no that definitely happens to me and I definitely have that gene you do (laughs) well you're not but you're not an alcoholic like I I try to temper my drinking yeah like, I wouldn't say that I don't have the propensity to do it. Okay. I'd say that I am very aware that it is something that I have. Like, I definitely have the addictive personality gene mm-hmm. or whatever. See, I do have an addictive personality, but not with alcohol. 
for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just never, like, I've never needed it. Like, even when I first turned, like, 21 and I could drink at a lot of different places, I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, now I can just drink anywhere. But very quickly I was just like, oh, like, this isn't that great. I don't know. You know, it, it's like, but with things like movies, for instance, I overdose. I would over, if movies were bad for you, I would be dead by now, right? Yeah. So, yeah. well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being so open to talk like that because... Yeah, no, I've definitely drank too much in my life at points. Yeah. I've definitely had times in my life where I was drinking way too much. And it was good that I realized at the point that I did, I probably could have realized earlier. Well, good for you for getting it under control. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> We're not losing our lives to drug and alcohol addiction. Yay. Yay. Anyway, so I think that this movie kind of highlighted that you can be this really good-looking young boy with all these opportunities where you, you know, they had mentioned that he got into six different colleges. They mentioned that he was into writing. I would have liked to hear more about his character as, as a person. Again, like in Boy Erase, it was kind of like the character trait was gay. Like, it's like, that's what he is. He's gay. That's yeah. it. And in this movie, they showed a little bit more of his personality, but I would have liked to have more character moments like that. That little moment where they, you know, something unique about their relationship is when they say goodbye and they hug each other, they say everything, and then they later on explain in the movie where that came from. Yeah. I like little things like that about characters. I think that really colors a movie to make it different from other movies. And I would have liked to see more about his specific character, but I think maybe they were trying to say, like, you can be this, like, rich kid with all these great opportunities and still fall into this addiction. Yeah. You know, it, it's something that affects everybody. Nobody is really safe from it. That also, like, is one of my critiques of the film, though, is, like, oh, all of a sudden we're supposed to pay attention to this because it's a wealthy person, you know, like... So many people who don't have the funds and resources to deal with this have to deal with this on a regular basis. Right. And what is it like for someone who doesn't get Steve Carell's credit card yeah. pushed across the table? Yeah. And, like, people always stigmatize people who have addiction issues who don't have money. Um, and then when people who do have addiction issues and they do have money, like, it is still an issue, but there are resources in place to help them get through it. Um, so just something to think about, I guess. Just a, just mm -hmm. a topic to think about is how, how does class contribute to, to this? And Well, I think class also contributes in a negative way, whereas, you know, of course it's a huge blessing to get to go to beautiful rehab facilities rather than, you know, dying in a crack house, for instance. But it's also like if you have money, you kind of have endless resources to buy as many drugs as you want. And yeah. I think that kills you faster. I think that's something that I saw a lot in the place that I went to school is like people came from wealthier backgrounds and like there was no financial way to stop them from having a terrible drug habit, like to become a coke fiend. Yeah. You know, like, you can't really become a coke fiend with no money. That's why people do crack, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and you're really getting high-end stuff if you can pay for it. Right. 
that blue magic. So what was it? <laughs> what was I gonna say about? Oh yeah, like what I said before. He never hit rock bottom with like a place he had to live or a, like you know what I mean. I'm sure this person wouldn't appreciate me telling their story, but there's someone that I know who did hit rock bottom. He was living in a crack motel in Atlantic City where there were prostitutes that were not even making money. They were literally just having sex for to get drugs from people, and it was, like, the lowest of the of the low. I'm not talking about, like, as far as themselves as human beings, but, like, themselves at their lowest point. And then there were a couple of murders at the motel that were drug-related, and I think that kind of snapped this person into rehab. They were like, this is not just killing people because of the drugs anymore. People are literally getting murdered in the place that I live, and I'm not safe, and I've brought myself here. Like, I had a normal life once, you know? And he ended up going to rehab, thank God, but... I think in this movie, he never really reached that point. And I think one of the controversial things about it is the decision of the father to deny his son help when his son asks for it. Of course, he had already helped him many, many times. But then there's a scene where Nick calls his father and says, crying after his girlfriend. Does she OD? I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she ODs. And he says, please, I need help. I'm going to come live at home. And his father says, no, you cannot. What do you think about that? Is that the right choice? Well, the film will make us think that it's the right choice. Um, I think this film, the most powerful thing about this film is definitely how uh, it talks about dealing with toxic people. And, like, not saying that all people with addictions are toxic people or mean to be toxic people, but just by dealing with somebody who has an addiction, like, there is a toxicity to it, you know? Um, Because as much as you're invested in them as a person, like, they might not be invested in you as a person. They might be invested of what you can get them and, like... Right. And there's also that aspect of he had to protect his other two children, so he has yes. two kids with his second wife, played by Maura Tierney, and he also has to worry about them. You know, he doesn't want them to live in this volatile household where their brother's breaking in the house to steal whatever he can before he gets his next fix, you know? Yeah, and I don't think addiction has really been solved and like, how to help somebody who has an addiction issue. I don't think that's something that we have definitively figured out as a society. No, not at all. (laughs) But kind of like what you were saying, like a reward system, like that's how animals function. That's how humans function is like the reward system. And I think there are some people who once family cuts off, once friends cut off, that's like when the line is drawn, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, once you isolate a certain amount of people, and, like, if that is something that could help somebody push them over and be like, okay, now I need to get help, which is kind of what it seemed like this was, right? Yeah. Is that when he decided to get help? Like, when his girlfriend died and... (laughs) Well, I... She died? Did she die? No, no, she didn't die. She just OD'd. Yeah, but close enough. Yeah. Uh, Well, then he goes and lives with his mother, right? Or was that... No, no, no. That was before... Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, because then they get on the phone and they're like, and Steve Carell's like, what have you been doing with him? Like, where is he? Like, he's lived with you. Like, you're not watching him. All that stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, the film was fine. <laughs> I, like, I think there are parts of it that will be fine. I don't think it really served a new purpose besides maybe just giving people who deal with children who are addicts maybe it's more about that and I guess by calling it beautiful boy you are kind of saying it's from the perspective of the parents who see this addicted son as a beautiful boy you know it's not like him seeing himself as a beautiful boy it kind of made me feel something I don't know but my my dad is really overprotective and he still sees me as like his little girl and is always worried about me no matter where I am no matter what I'm doing I mean I'm constantly in New York City and he's always like just so worried to the point where I never even tell him that I'm there (laughs) like I feel like for years especially when I was a teenager I always would just say I was at the mall like because the mall's pretty close by, and no matter what I was doing, I mean, he must have known that I couldn't have been at the mall every single time I left the house. But I literally would always say, oh, I'm at the mall, Dad, because I knew how much he worried about me, and I feel like this this will really make you feel for your parents, like when you see how much your parents worry about you. And it made me want to call him and say, I'm okay, Dad, like, don't worry, you know? And it, it makes you remember how, like, there's really no limit of times you can call your parents and just be like, hey, I'm good. I'm not laying in a ditch. I'm safe. Everything's good. Yeah. Oh, you know what I wanted to talk <laughs> about? That scene where the father does coke. Yes. To kind of get in the headspace of his son, I thought. Was that the purpose? Yeah. And that was interesting, an interesting choice, and I guess shows the desperation that parents have to get into the heads of their children. Right, like, maybe if I just do this, I'll understand. Yeah, and that's the thing about addiction, is, like, unless somebody is inside someone's head, which you can't be, you don't really know what's going on and what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. I thought the part where he learns more of the chemical facts about crystal meth was interesting. People don't really know all the details a lot of the time about those things, and they kind of highlighted how when you do crystal meth, basically the more meth that you do, the more meth that you want to do, and you develop a tolerance to it immediately. So that's why so many people die from it, because it's like the amount that you do is immediately not enough for you the next time. Yeah. Imagine how terrifying that is to hear. Like, imagine just being like, oh, this is just another drug that he's addicted to, and that's terrible enough, but then you hear every time he does it, he just wants more and more and more and more and more. Ugh. It's tough. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, there were definitely some rough sobering up scenes, I guess. I'll Mm -hmm. give the filmmaker credit. Did you, so do you agree with relapse is a step on the road to recovery? Um, yeah, just because I think, I, I don't think anybody really gets to sobriety without relapsing in some kind of way. Right. I also don't think. Just once, like, oh, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> but also at the same time, 
I think there's some people who could relapse and it'll bring them closer to sobriety. And I think there's some people who could relapse and it's going to not bring them closer to sobriety. Right. And I don't know if that's a genetic thing. I don't know if that's just a circumstance thing. It's case um, by case. Yeah. So my favorite scene in the movie was the scene where he breaks into the house with the girlfriend and the stepmom... I don't remember her name in the movie, but she's played by Maura Tierney, and she is always kind of in the background. Her character yeah. doesn't say much. I like that she wasn't the nagging, like, she wasn't, like, always telling Steve Carell what to do or anything, like, get him home or do this yeah. or send him here. She was very supportive, very supportive wife. And she's always, like, painting in the background, right? Like, that's her job. And she's very... She's not very active in the movie. And then all of a sudden, you see her in her car driving after Timothy, well, Nick, and his girlfriend because they have broken into the house and they don't want to have a confrontation with the family. So yeah. they try to get out as soon as they see that they've come home. They try to get out and they're driving their car and they're speeding away. And then you see her speed after him. And it's the first kind of impassioned moment that you see from her. And I thought it was really powerful. It reminded me of Juno when she's like sobbing in her big van. Yeah. <laughs> I like Juno's, I like that scene a little bit more, but this one, I thought that was such a mom, like it was such an instinctive mom thing to do. Like, even though that's not her son, in a way it is her son, you know? And it's like, my son is in trouble. There he goes. I have to go get him. And it was just so devastating when she didn't catch up to him. I actually thought he was going to crash at some point and, and it would cause an accident. But that didn't happen. She doesn't catch up to him. She stops the car eventually and she just sits there and cries. And it's that, it was a good portrayal of that helpless feeling, I think, of like you can chase it and chase it and chase it, but you're never going to really catch up to it. So I thought it was kind of symbolic that way. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't really have a favorite scene from the film. <laughs> it doesn't deserve that. Aww. <laughs> yeah. It was aight. It was aight. I'll probably watch it again when it comes on TV just to see the visuals because they were very, very nice to look at. But other than that, it's not a film I'm dying to see again. Yeah, and it didn't really hit me too hard. Um, shout out Timothy Chalamet if he pulls off a nomination from this. Love you. Good he's for not. Your I don't think he's going to. Do you, well, what do you think? How about in general? What do you think about nominations? Do you think it's going to get this any film? Oscar nominations? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't I, be shocked if it did. I um, think its biggest chance is is Timothy, and I don't think he's going to get it. Yeah. It, overall, it's fine. I. Do you recommend the movie? Um, nah. Like, if it comes on and you see it, I would watch it, but... If you're like, oh, I can see this film or another film that I'm very excited about seeing, go see the other film that you're excited about seeing. Yeah, and if you're if you're wanting to watch movies with drug-related subject matter, watch Gia, watch Trainspotting, watch Candy, watch Basketball Diaries. We've highlighted these films for you. <laughs> I think all those movies are better than this movie, but I yeah, do... If you, if you watch Basketball Diaries, that will give you so much more fulfillment. Yeah. It I, actually shows the struggle of a drug addict who ends up figuring things out, right? 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to spoil the end. <laughs> maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. So, all right, so you wouldn't recommend it. I don't know. I would recommend it to people that love Timothy and Steve Carell. I think you would want to show up and see these performances. Don't get me wrong. I watched Hot Summer Nights the other night because I was like, I need to see Timothy Chalamet yeah. in something. I was craving him. <laughs> <laughs> I was craving him. But that was also another situation uh, where we've all been he there. was everything in the film. You know? Yeah. He didn't, like... He was the reason to see it. There wasn't much going on otherwise. Okay, so is that it? Or are, we, are we wrapping I this up? I think we're wrapped, yeah. All right, so thank you guys so much for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, you can always email us at moviescinemafilmpodcast at gmail.com. By the time you listen to this, we might have an Instagram. Yeah, I'm going to make an Instagram. It's going to be movie cinema film, as long as it's not taken, like our email was. And please follow us on Instagram and listen to our episodes. And send us feedback. We want to know what you guys think. Please tell us how annoying we are. Because this podcast is for you. It's not for us. No, we it's not. We want to know what you want to hear and what you guys want us to talk about. Right. We're slaving away here. This is not a personal thing. This is just for everybody in the world. Also, the next episode we're going to do is Green Book. Yay, Green Book. We've already watched it. So yes. we're telling you guys, you should definitely watch it. Go watch Green Book. Go see it in the theater. I recommend it. Oh, I just gave away that I recommend it. Well... There's Let's just say I'm going to be more talkative about this film. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. spoiler. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening, and have fun at the movies. Peace out. This has been a Rhino Comedy production. Find us on Instagram at rhinos underscore r underscore funny rhinocomedy.com Rhino Comedy on Facebook and live comedy every Friday and Saturday night at 96 Lafayette Ave in Suffern, New York.